coming to you live from the studios of KZSU at Stanford University. This is What Would Your Mother Say? Hi, I'm Susan Morris. Welcome to the show. Our panel today includes another mother, Sadie. Hello. Along with students Jessica and Topher. Hi, Susan. Hi, Susan. And Lauren will be joining us shortly. Our topic today is fitting in. I'm not a loser anymore. On the phone with us is Dr. Jane Bernstein, Bluestein. She is uh, an advisor to teacher and parent groups on ways to work with teenagers. In her book, High School's Not Forever, current high school students and recent high school survivors tell in their own words the daily grind they experienced. Dr. Jane Bluestein, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. Hi. Hi. Now, I know that you dislike the term loser. So for this conversation, shall we use the word outsider? You know what? I'm a little more comfortable with that. Loser's just so pejorative, and um, yeah, it's an ugly, ugly energy on that word, isn't it? <laughs> I think you're right, actually, yeah. and it perpetuates the idea that the person is a loser. Outsider's a little bit more benign. I, now, my theory is that everybody at some point in their life feels like an outsider. Is that correct? Oh, I'll, I'm sure most people do. Um, Actually, I'd like to meet some people who didn't. They're probably a lot healthier than most of us. But um, I think, you know, we all go through times of self-doubt. Or, you know, uh, I think a lot of us also grow up with the idea that we're supposed to fit in. And especially during these years, we look to other people for the cues of how we're supposed to fit in, which means I'm supposed to look like you. I'm supposed to like the same political candidates. I'm supposed to like the same food, um, uh, the music. You know, there's all these factors that, uh, you know, that we judge ourselves against. How does... Um, how? How does it, um, well, who are the people who decide who will be left out? Oh, you know, I'd love to know that and why we believe them. <laughs> it's like just certain people just decide that, you know, and it's not like these this particular group. I think it's just that, you know, that, that people don't take the time to question what's important. But if somebody says, you know, it's like, oh, well, everybody, you know, who's over this height, well, they're worth more than people who are shorter or people who drive a particular car. I mean, who made that determination that I have to look a certain way, weigh a certain amount, drive a certain car, get a certain grade point average to be worth anything? You know, I don't know where those values come from, but the problem is that we buy into them. No, we certainly do, and teenagers in particular do it. Um, uh, tell me... Um, what toll does it take psychologically and emotionally to be left out? And I'm thinking of the uh, the teenager at the time, and then later as an adult, if this happened to you as a teenager in a in a pretty big way. Well, you know, I think that sort of depends on a lot of factors, including the psychological strength that you go into this situation with. I know a lot of kids who are very comfortable in their own skin, and they don't. Even if people say, we don't want you here, they would never consider themselves an outsider. They just figure that they're not wanted in this particular group. It would never dawn on them that they're an outsider. You know, perception is everything. Do you think it has something to do with how their parents made them feel? I, I think that's a part of it, the messages that they got while they were growing up. I think some of this just sort of comes, it's like, you know, like it's, wired into our DNA, and some people have it more than others. Now, sitting at the table, as I said, is Sadie and Jessica and uh, Topher. And I think um, Jessica yeah, has I a like, question for this you. This is Jessica. I, I, this is a really interesting topic to me because when I was in high school and junior high school, I was the worst outsider. I think I was probably the lowest of the low outsider, and I'm still always surprised when, like, when I'm popular in college and among adults, and it still kind of shocks me when things go my way, and I think it really did mark me in a lot of ways. And I'm curious, um, I'm just curious about how, how prevalent that is, because almost everyone that I found that you, I found that what people think of you is very context sensitive. And if you see, if you're succeeding where they see you, they think you've always been that way. And if you're a quote, a loser, like you were in high, when people in high school see you, then they think you've always been that way. Yeah. And people don't understand that you could have, that you passed through phases and you've been, you could have been one way before and another way now. So I guess my question is, what do you, what, what is your impression of that? Do you think that's just sort of a fault of perception where people don't understand that what they're looking at is not the way things always were? Well, I think we go by surface images. I remember somebody once telling me, don't judge, wait a minute, let me, I want to get this straight, don't judge your inside, or don't, don't judge somebody else's outsides by your own insides. 
and we project a lot of things. And if somebody looks happy, we assume, oh, gosh, this person never could have wrestled with self-esteem issues or anything like that. We don't know. And, it, you know, the, the bottom line is it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. We know the truth, and people don't need to know what I went through in junior high. I want people to take me on fa- for face value on who I am now. You could probably hurt yourself, couldn't you, by even telling people that you oh. were a real super loser in high school. I don't know. I think some people really can connect to that. I think, you know, it's not like how I would want to introduce myself to everybody I meet. Excuse me, officer, did you know, you know. It's, uh, you know. Well, don't laugh, because there are people who do that. They That is really their identity, and I think we have to watch the energy on that, too. Because, you know, as, as you mentioned, Jessica, right, you said? Um, you know, as you mentioned, we're all in a state of, I would hope, I would hope that most of us are in a state of evolution and that we're changing. And who I am today isn't even who I was five years ago, much less who I was in junior high. And if I run into somebody, and there are people on this planet, I travel a lot, and I run into people that I haven't seen in 30 or 40 years. And um, a lot of times somebody will say something to me, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, they really don't know, you know, i got to catch these people up if they're going to be in my life. Or they, you know, we're not. Doctor, so, this is this is Topher, and I... When I first went to high school, I became very shy. I had the the outsider feeling. And I want to ask about um, how effective it is, or how right it is, for people to try to to intervene, so to speak. And because I find these days, when when I meet shy people, I try to draw them into the conversation, to kind of draw them into the group. Um, and if if they sort of reject that, I I get very frustrated because I feel like a recovering shy person. They should be grateful <laughs> that I'm trying to help them out here. Am I am I being presumptuous? Darn it! I'm so nice. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Particularly since you're a loser. Oh, no. yeah, really? Oh. oh, I didn't say that. Which side were you on, Sue? Well, you know what, though? Don't forget, we've got issues of deservingness. And, you know, I, I remember, you know, talking to people who said they grew up always hearing that, you know, if anybody would like you, there must be something wrong with them. Well, then, if you're nice to me, I, you know, if my script says, that I am a loser, that I am an outsider, that I am not worthwhile. Why is this person being nice to me? You know, I first of all, do I believe that we should extend, you know, a hand or, or a, an ear or whatever to invite people to include them? Oh, God bless you for doing that. And if they reject it, it's just they're not ready to be part of the group. They're not ready for the acceptance. They're not ready to receive the love or the inclusion that we want to give them. Don't forget, they may have years of messages saying they're not even worth the attention you're giving them. Well, you know, Janet, there have been occasions when I've really reached out to outsiders, Uh and um, they've been awful. They have just been, it's like, you know, it's like if you're nice to me, and that's why I said what I did to, to Topher, if you're nice to me, then welcome to the club, but get behind me because you're more of a loser than I am. And I well, can wait see, a minute. Like, but that's got nothing to do with you. And right. Then, then I would ask that you examine your attachment to whatever outcome. You know, you can be nice to somebody, and if they reject it, you go be nice to somebody else. The other thing in that is you don't know. They may not be able to accept it at that moment, but something, just the fact that you were kind enough to include them or to value them or to invite them, even if they turn you down, that could be a huge turning point in their life that may take a couple weeks or months or even years before they recognize that, wait a minute, this wouldn't be happening to me if I were really horrible. I don't know if you see this too, uh, Dr. Bluestein, but I view it from the perspective that they're suffering too. Like the kind of things that we, that people go through in high school are just like imprisonment and abuse. Like you're just stuck in this institution. Thank you. It doesn't care about you and you and the other, and your fellow inmates are all of in many cases, <laughs> abusing you. And then one person says something nice one day. Like, does that, I mean, that's nice, but does that, but you're still, like, suffering. And that's and suffering people are often nasty. So <laughs> I exactly. sort of take that into account when people well, that are suffering is, are, are don't respond well to I kindness. I think that, that suffering is also sort of a self-perpetuating thing in that if you you know, are going and sulking and waiting for somebody to come and say, oh, my dear, what's wrong? You know, what's going to happen? Is that everybody's going to think, man, she is a drag. I had a friend who discovered this, you know, and she said she was sitting around at a party in a corner, you know, moping and looking like a little lost girl and hoping for some handsome young man to come up and, you know, and nobody did because they thought, God. Look at the energy she's putting up. Yeah, exactly. We do what works. And if we've been able to get attention from mommy and daddy or from uh, from friends by 
by, you know, generating pity and things like that, then we grow up thinking that that's the way we're supposed to act. Mm-hmm. You know, if we see people that are being nasty, you know, and, and, and you look at some of the cliques where people are just so nasty to one another, and yet they're supposedly the hottest people in the world, mm-hmm. we think, well, that's how I'm supposed to act, but that's not who I am. And so whether it's like, you know, whatever it is, we do what works for us. And at some point, we look at these behaviors, and I know that one of, you know, just sitting around kind of feeling sorry for myself or whatever, and, and hoping that that would generate something that, you know, right now I look at it and make kind of makes me rich. But that's where I was at the time. Well, you know what I did when I was found myself to be an outsider in high school is I went as far as possible to make sure that I really indeed was so I dressed really outrageously and I did all the things that other people were not doing and then years later all these people would come around and go oh my god you were like the coolest thing ever (laughs) no I was actually going to bring up exactly the same point like what about groups of outsiders because I I realized early on that I was not going to fit in with the with the normal kids so I just hung out with the abnormal kids and they were (laughs) like they had their own cliques and problems too but they were but they were just more interesting so i'm wondering what like i've noted and now looking back like knowing people now that are in junior high or like early high school whether or not you identify yourself as normal or not as normal is really an important part of your identity that i think stays with you have you found that to be true too everything you've said i've found to be true absolutely including the kids who don't seem to fit in anywhere sort of drifting toward one another um, you know, it's kind of this weird trauma bonding that we go through. But, you know, I also, when I, you know, I don't, I beg, I, most of my work is with teachers and with parents. And when I talk to teachers, I beg them, especially people working with high school kids. And that's one of the reasons that we did this book is to let kids, now there are kids that are having a blast in high school. And it's like, okay, that's wonderful. I'm really glad that it's one fun for you. I think there are a lot of people, as you mentioned, that are in pain, that are suffering, that feel like I can't tell you how many times the word inmates have come, you know, mm-hmm. come up talking about high school. And I want kids to know that it's not real. Now, it feels real, and it hurts. Yeah. It feels like prison. It feels like, you know, everybody in the world is mean to you. Even your friends are mean to you when it seems to serve them. It's not real. Just the fact that it feels real, though. Uh, doctor, doctor yeah. I, I want to say on that, Mark, I'm astounded by uh, by how when I look back at high school and I think I went to high school I had all these ups and downs then I went to college and now I'm in graduate school I'm like wow I cannot believe I was freaking out about this and that and the other thing because right now I don't even remember that stuff I, so much has happened so much amazing stuff has happened in my life since then I just it's just hard to imagine now but when you're in that situation that's all that's your whole world and so it's going to be your focus absolutely and that's why when somebody hears a voice like yours who may be sitting there thinking, God, this is the end of the line, especially, now imagine this. I don't know if you guys ever had this, but, you know, I used to hear people telling me, hey, cheer up, this is the best time of your life. Oh, that's so <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Let me say that. Wait a minute. This already sucks. I could not feel worse in my life, and this is as good as it gets. It's downhill <laughs> from here. Excuse me. Yeah, exactly. How about yeah. you tell kids, no, this is probably the worst time of your life. For that's a lot of true. people, it is. Yeah. It, where does that come from? Why do people think that? Because people get uncomfortable with people's feelings. And people who are care about kids have this sense. Part of it is they want the kids to be happy. Okay, They generally care about the kids. They want the kids to be happy. The other piece is there's a sense of adequacy, adequacy here that says, well, wait a minute. If, you know, if this kid's unhappy, I must be failing as a mom or as a dad or as a teacher or as a whatever. So, you know, we try to cheer people up. Very few of us, and don't forget, look at the models we've had. If we grew up hearing this, this is, unless we question it or go through some kind of process ourselves, we think this is what we're supposed to say. We don't really think through how many people really take a look and say, wait a minute, what am I really saying to this kid? Maybe they're lamenting their uh, long-lost youth. <laughs> For that, too. <laughs> you know? Uh, Dr. Dr. Bluestein, thank you so much. We've run out of time, but I want to ah! thank you for coming on the show. You guys are awesome. My God, that went so fast. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you. It was, it was great. great talking to you about this. Oh, Dr. Jane Bluestein co-authored High School's Not Forever with Eric Katz. You can purchase her book at your local bookstore or on Amazon.com. For more information, you can visit Dr. Bluestein's website at www. 
uh, janebluestein.com. We're going to take a short break. Coming up, Feeling Like an Outcast, the panel's own stories. We'll be opening up the lines to hear what you have to say about trying to fit in. We'll be taking your calls at 650-723-9010. If you're listening to us on the Internet at livekzsu.stanford.edu, send us an email at whatwouldyourmothersay at kzsu.stanford.edu. Welcome. I'm Susan Morris. If you're just tuning in with me in the studio is another mother, Sadie. Hello. Hi. And Jessica and Topher. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. And joining us shortly will be Lauren. All right, panel, I want you to tell me about if you've ever been jilted, shunned, stood up for dinner, blackballed, <laughs> left at the altar. Was ever anyone ever left at the altar? You know, one thing, I haven't been any of those things, but one thing I do want to say is that one of those things happens to everyone. Like, what, like It's not like there's these people on whom all bad things are rained, and then on everyone else, it's this beautiful sunny day. So I think... Yes, I think that those things happen to everyone. I was seventh grade was an awful year for me. No jilting. I definitely <laughs> wasn't at any altars, but um, I was kind of sacrificed at the altar of um, a bunch of just ridiculously self-centered little little girls. I I mean, it's so funny looking back. I actually had a dream about them, like years and years later, that I was having an adult conversation with them, explaining to them, you know, you guys were just horrible. And it affected me so much that, I mean, that I would bother to dream about them. Well, you know, I don't, uh, Topher, you said earlier, well, so much has happened to me. I'm a graduate student now, and that was a long time ago. I just wonder, I mean, I, I know that there are stories of being shunned or ignored or jilted or whatever when you're a teenager in high school, and it does live with you. I'm I'm surprised. I guess maybe in in a in a way I don't want to suggest that what you went through wasn't that hard, but it's hard to get over when you're really trying to develop an impression of who you are. I think and what happens is maybe your life doesn't. Ch- if your life changes a lot, then it kind of proves to you that that was an anomaly. Like if you're in high school and it's terrible, and then you go to college and it's great, and you go to grad school and it's great, and you travel and you do all these things, then it's like, oh, obviously that was an anomaly. But what if your life doesn't go so well after high school? Well, then you start to think that what happened in high school is just reality. Well, maybe it also depends on how long the experience lasted. I went to the same school for 11 years with the same people. So, you know... Uh, and everyone's dated everyone, and right, everyone's got right. a rep. Well, it was all girls, so we, we weren't dating. But all of you out there, I want you to give us a call and tell us about your experiences with being left out. Just joining us is Lauren. Just a minute. We have to make sure, yes, that he's on the right headset. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Susan. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. We're talking about um, the worst-case scenario of when we were... When we were left out, and one of the questions that I've put down here is, when did you need a friend to help you get through with this, and did a friend portray you by saying, mm, mm, I don't think I want to you know, be associated with you? I think, I think, well, in my case in seventh grade, which was pretty bad, I, I think I was, at a, I was at a fancy private school. There were only like 40 people in the class, and it was a very... Like, there was nowhere to run to in that social environment. Sometimes p- students have, like, a, a church group that they go to or a community group or something where they have somewhere to go to just get a sanity check that's not their parents, they, even siblings. I, I was the oldest, so I didn't have any siblings to help me. But um, I, I didn't have anyone to run to. Like, everyone was in this rigid hierarchy. There were, like, 20 girls and 20 boys, and all 20 is a small enough number that you can all be ranked. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, everyone knew everyone else's rank, and it was this, like, horribly... I, I, it would be an insult to Darwin to Darwin to call it Darwinian. It was a horrible <laughs> environment. Well, well, one of the things that I, th- I think can happen with adults who aren't on top of this is they can say, well, honey, what are you doing to make people treat you this way? That's so terrible. It's just blaming the victim. Well, it is terrible. But you know, in a way, though, sometimes the loser, the outcast, is kind of irritating. <laughs> oh, indeed. I think, well, I think a lot of times people will have like... Um, traits that sort of self-manifest when they get cast in this position as the loser and you know kind of over time that becomes you know their personality and the way they deal with other people so they are a pain in the neck and you want to think well i don't want to hang out with them yeah sometimes definitely 
Did you have a story of when you were in high school, Lauren? Yeah, when I was in high school, um, I mean, there was this one guy we always used to pick on, and I, I was thinking back on that, and I said, you know, I don't know why we, we used to pick on this guy, but it kind of turns out that, you know, after a while of picking on someone, they, they kind of set themselves up for certain things. Like, when something bad happens to them, they will do, you know, their utmost to make it so that, you know, any criticism will hit them the hardest. And that you know every every single bar that they're, they're they're just kind of like you know bearing their chest to all all your you know air, you know bad things you could say. My hypothesis: a lot of those people have been abused in some way before, so they're kind of used to it. Like I don't I don't have any research to back this up or anything, but it just seems to me like people get in the habit when people present themselves for abuse. It's usually because they've been abused in some way, well, and they, they know they know how to assume that posture. They know how to try to diffuse abuse by being by showing by you know trying to get it over with faster or by <laughs> you know being in control of it in some way by directing it toward themselves and one of the traits i've noticed is that people who are are not the loser are i guess very capable of you know laughing at themselves and not setting themselves up for a joke and when something unfortunate happens because it's impossible to make it so that you know nothing bad ever happens to you i mean stuff's going to happen but i think how you deal with that stuff you know dictates how other people are, will treat it you know along with you and if if you treat it with mirth and you know with a you know, an uplifting attitude. I, I think that's that's going to get reflected back at sure. you. Sure, you're not a loser then. But <laughs> but there there are certain there are certain signs of someone who's who feels like a loser. What are they? Now, there's the typical <laughs> thing of, of of the um, I'm thinking the greasy hair, the 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 clothes that just look like you know the grandmother's but, but clothes. But what does that mean? That means either they're poor and they can't afford good clothes, or their parents don't care for them, meaning they don't encourage them to wash their hair and stuff like that. Like, or maybe what? they're into rockabilly music. And- <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about sign, not signs that someone's different, but signs that someone's an outcast. Like, people like that have, are in, I mean, what, what kids are picking on are, like, really important signs that something is wrong in a person's family. I think Lauren, Lauren already hit on a lot of this, the, uh, the ability to set yourself up, the inability to take criticism, and in- inability to assert yourself that make people think... I don't really want to be around this person. Let's not call him and invite him to this. You know, this girl can take it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think part of the problem is the people who are popular, <coughs> who are really rather jerks. You know, it's, I, I don't know whether you found this, too. I found that I really wanted to be with the other outsiders because the people who are popular were awful. But there is an ingrown, I think, need amongst people to find somebody who's worse than they are or worse off or something or just feel superior to somebody so you'll find these people who were who you know set themselves up as the popular people deliberately excluding other people because they want to feel superior and then the other person of course so what do you do like if you're in that let's say you're like i was whipping boy right? right well let's say like you're like i was in seventh grade like this has just started to happen before that i was just kind of like a kid and what do you do for a kid like that in that situation to get them I mean, before, like, there's sort of this, like, like you said, self-reinforcing a lot of ways, like Lauren said. So I'm wondering, how do you get that to, you know, how do you stop that cycle? I don't know. I mean, you were saying, you were lucky, I think, um, Sadie, because you looked at this this uh, hip group of mean girls or whatever and said, you know, I don't want to belong to that. But then there are the people who look at the hip girls and they're mean and all of that, but they still they want to be with them. They want to be in the hip group. Now, Dr. Bluestein and I talked yesterday and she said, why would you want to be with a group that makes you feel crappy? Well, because, you know, you like the way they look. You like, you know, the position that they have in the class or whatever. There are lots of reasons. It's hard to... I um, think I think to, I just thought of something. I, I want to hear what you guys have to say about this. I think it's because in high school there's like one source of value. But if there were like, like in adult life and in college, there's like 15 sources of value. Like yeah, you're least, cool yeah. because you're on the radio. You're cool because you get good grades. You're cool because you got this, you know, you have a cool girlfriend or boyfriend. Like there's like so many different ways to be cool that it's distributed. But in high school, often there's only one way to be cool. So if you can't be cool that way, you just aren't cool and then you suffer. Well, now I, I want everybody to go around, if you don't mind, Topher, and tell me what, what made you uncool. If you were ever uncool, what was it? Uh, well, I wanted to, resti- I wanted to respond yeah. to Jessica's point oh, first. Oh. That, um, what's <laughs> interesting is I sort of have a, a counterexample to that, where in my high school it was Jesuits, liberal, Catholic, very self-affirming, and, the, uh, and everyone seemed to have a basic respect for everyone. You know, this guy's cool because he plays guitar, this guy's cool because he's on the football team, this girl's cool because she... and all this kind of stuff. But we still had all these miserable people. We still had everyone feeling like an outsider. Everyone was still suffering, even though there was all this encouragement and these different sources of value, as you put it. So I don't think it's just a problem of the social hierarchy. 
What would it? What was well, it? Maybe then? it's part of being a teenager. It's the you angst know. of modernism. <laughs> <laughs> but there is Word. there's something about proving yourself about going from boyhood to manhood and girlhood to womanhood, and you're about to go out go to college away from home and all this kind of stuff. And everyone's flipping out in the last year and a half in my high school, and none of us really know how to deal with it. And that's that's what led to the the getting busy in the back of the suburban that we talked about a couple of months ago. Well, I want to talk. It always about comes up again. <laughs> <laughs> well, jumping ahead out of high school and talking about adult life and Sadie and I are the only ones who are not in school, but there are opportunities in adult life to feel out of it and to have other people ostracize you and I wanted to talk about that in terms of uh, situations that can arise. Sadie, have you I haven't really felt terribly ostracized or excluded as an adult, but I do have to say that Working in the real world is so wretched and miserable that it really is true when they say that your college years are the best. No matter how miserable you are in college, it's going to get worse. It's just going to get worse in different ways. Aww. That's all. You might feel, you know, part of a group, which is great, but you're going to be. I don't know. I hate to say this, Sadie. You're probably going to hate me, but I think if you think life is miserable, then something's it, that. Then you're doing something wrong. <laughs> you need I to mean, change I'm something. not saying. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying like. I you mean, when you're high school, you're trapped in a lot of ways. Like you're, you live with your parents. You can't, you don't have your own money. You don't have your own like life. But as an adult, you could just say, chuck all this stuff and say, you know what? I'm going to go live in Borneo. Not if you're a single mom with kids to support. Okay, right. Yeah. right. But now your kids are grown, right? You could go to Borneo. Borneo. Or well, wherever. <laughs> well, we're going to continue this discussion, but first we're going to take a short break. But when we come up, we will share some more stories about being an outsider. You're listening to What Would Your Mother Say? I'm Susan Morris. Welcome to the show. With me at the table is Sadie, another mother. Hello. Hi, it's good to have you here. And also Lauren, Jessica, and Topher. Hello. Susan. Hi. Our three Stanford students. Well, our topic for the first part of this segment is fitting in. Have you ever felt like an outsider, been left on the sidelines, ignored, not invited to a party, not called by your friends? What's going on? Are you just an unpopular type? Or are you trying to fit in with the wrong group? How do you decide whether you need to work on your popularity skills or should you select another crowd? Well, I wanted to talk to you about this. Here is a wonderful um, quote that I got. We can talk about it. There's nothing wrong with being a loser. It just depends on how good you are at it. <laughs> and that's certainly one way of looking at it, right? I mean, Sadie, you took, you took, you moved and said, "Hey, I'm going to play this out for all it's worth," right? Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like you had a good time. Yeah, I had a pretty good time. I mean, yeah, I did definitely feel sometimes that I was, uh, I, I was a teenager and I was going through all that terrible stuff. But I really enjoyed dressing up different and hanging with a different crowd and doing different things and me too i changed mostly my standard. illegal and <laughs> mostly illegal oh sadie uh, nope. well now what advice do you have for a young adult getting uh going through sort of this period of <laughs> hmm. i i would just say you know take a good close look at the people who are popular and you know because they very often are really awful people that you don't want to be like and just be like yourself. And, uh, you know, it's really funny that I know a lot of people who just decided to go ahead and do whatever they were doing and, and people would come back and tell them years later, man, you were the coolest thing ever, you know. So you might not feel like the coolest thing ever at the time, but you were. So <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> Sounds good. I, I think what, what I observed is that they're the really cool kids, mean, not always the brightest kids in the class, but they set the agenda. They kind of, because that's their force, that's what they do, that they were able to influence the next tier of people. And then, then there were the other people. I'm not going to tell you which crowd I was in. No. <laughs> no, no. I'm not going to do it. But but so the the second tier of people weren't mean or anything, but they were they didn't want to hang out with people who had been clearly labeled as outsiders. So uh, I, that was certainly what I observed. Yes, Topher. Um, I Jessica and I were talking about this a few weeks ago at a, at a party and about why what's up with this popular crowd. And I said, well, the the thing about popularity is that they exude the currency of adolescence, and the currency of adolescence is confidence in yourself so it doesn't really matter if you're a jerk people want to be around you if you're i'm doing i'm cool i'm doing the right thing i'm fun to hang around i you know i'm i'm it 
People want to be around that, especially yeah. at that age. And that's how leadership works all over the ages, but especially in something like high school, where people won't judge you for your moral faults. They'll judge you by, do I want to be around this person because they think they're going somewhere? Well, look at Newt Gingrich. Um, okay. <laughs> because not, he's so popular? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think another thing that I'd like to point out to people is it's actually the uh, slogan of the Chicken Boy um, franchise, which is, it's nice to be important, but it's important to be nice. <laughs> and it really is true that... <laughs> Boo! Now, that's a mom <laughs> statement if I ever yeah, heard one. Right? you know what I found? If you really, I mean, it took me a long time to really get the hang of, like, complimenting people a lot. I'm still not as good at it as I would like, but the more you do that, the more everybody kind of likes you, regardless of whether you fit the mold of coolness. Yeah, I found I get away with a lot of stuff now. I sort of exude this confidence these days that, like, because I really actually don't care at all. And I think (laughs) that, and it's interesting because then people, like, look at you like, like, like you know something they don't, when all you know is that you just don't really care. <laughs> Going along with what Topher said about you know kind of the the confidence of self being the you know the currency of a of a social group, I think part of maturing is being able to you know get that confidence in yourself without you know belonging to any particular group and like finding confidence in yourself and you know whatever you're interested in and that you know that's part of you know developing that self worth that's going to make you ultimately happy. Well, I want to talk about what labels someone as a you walk into a room and you this happens pretty quickly. You say. That person is a winner. That person is, and I'm not talking about the crowds of people around them. What is it that makes you say that almost instantly? I that think one you could person, do it with- and what makes you say something uh, to target another person as being hmm, outsider? What, what would be some of the characteristics? I think you could, you could look at primates and decide the same thing. I don't think it's limited to humans. Like, if you look at a troop of monkeys, you could tell which one's the outsider and which, which one the isn't. Well, they're usually they beating each other up, and you know what with the female uh, primates. <laughs> well, right, but you, you could see, like, one's off, like, isolation, sad demeanor, unkempt fur. You know, it's the same thing in humans. <laughs> we have a call from uh, Don. Hi. Well, it's close, Susan. Oh, hi, David. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say, if there's any out there who are feeling second tier or outsider, that uh, my experience and that of many others is just bide your time and wait till the five-year or ten-year high school reunion. Then you can laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I want I wanted to say that earlier about how the people that the people that we might think are uh, losers from high school. You go back five, ten years. They're doing cool stuff. They're making films. They're being artistic. They're business people. And all the people who are cool uh, got beer guts in college. That's it. <laughs> and uh, there's another issue of the late bloomer late mature. I mean, I was 5'7", 130 when I graduated from high school, and by the time I was 23, I was 6'2", and 165, so... Um, oh, David, I hate to tell you, that would have been in the... You would have been in the corner, right? <laughs> My my panel members are looking at me uh, aghast that I would say that. But how tall were you? You were five seven, and and how much did you weigh? One thirty. Oh wow! There's a great there's a great uh, article that I'd like to just plug because it's Paul, there's Paul, Paul Graham is this essayist who writes about he wrote a column called Why Nerds Are Unpopular and basically his thesis was that nerds are unpopular because they're doing cool things that have nothing to do with high school and I think in a lot of ways that's true they're off do they're not playing that game they're playing some other game like the computer programming game or the you know. I don't know, being really involved in music game or something that just isn't the high school game. So they appear unpopular because they're just in the wrong environment. David, thanks for calling. Okay, Susan, bye. Bye. I uh, wanted to talk to you about this gaming stuff. I mean, that is such an isolated kind of thing. I can see why people would turn to those kinds of activities uh, because they don't have to interact with, you know, the possibility or raise the possibility of being left out because they're playing on a computer. I don't know. I think it's better to interact more than that. Well, yeah, but what the people you interact with are being cruel to you, or, well, or you true. have nothing in common with them. True, true. Well, a lot of these computer games, I mean, you play online, and you're automatically connected, you know, via voice and, and chat with, like, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of other people. And a lot of people spend, you know, great chunks of their entire life playing these games, and I think that, you know, when, you, when you're looking online for, you know, other social opportunities, I mean, that, that's why people are on it. I, I want to say something about Biden, what he, what he said about um, about biding your time. I think it's really important, and I don't want to get political here, but it's really important that school systems in general offer, I think, lots of extracurricular shop, crafts, sports, so that people can, teenagers can develop skills that they can take pride in 
while they're going through all this anxiety and angst of high school. And I know where I live now in Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Minnesota, everyone's hunting, everyone's fishing. And those are sort of activities that people can take pride in. They say, yeah, you know, I caught a fish this big, I, I bagged this elk, and things like that. They have skills outside the school realm that they can take pride in as they grow up. Well, I, I think it's been very interesting. Thank you all for sharing about when we were all outcasts. <laughs> I have some emails here, which I think are, uh, I'd like to get your opinion on them. Here's from Leela. I have two friends who like the same guy. One used to date him and wants to get back together with him. She keeps telling us about how she saw him and he did this and did that and do we think he likes her. The problem is my other friend is having sex with him. (laughs) She doesn't want to tell her friend what's going on. I think she's going to find out before too long and then all hell is going to break out. Does she owe, uh, owe it to her friend to tell her? Um, they, the, she had broken up with the guy and they weren't dating. What do you think? Seems like the guy's fair game. I mean, if they broke up, you know, I mean, what what can you do? I mean, that that relationship is over. Wait, I want to make sure I understand the situation. So there are two friends that know each other. Yes. One's having sex, but not dating the guy. And the other one is pining after the guy and not dating him either. She used to date him. Then now she's pining after him. But they did break up. the girl who's having sex with him should say, you know, this guy that you like is having sex with other girls, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think that's that's exactly right. (laughs) Yeah, that's a diplomatic way. I like that. I like that a lot. And, um... Okay, and uh, that's what um, the girl that's engaged with this guy should say. But what about the third party, you know, the one who is the friend of both of these? She should say, you know, he's having sex with girls. Not say who, but say, because it's not her business to say who, but I think Say's totally right. She should say, you know, I know he's having sex with other girls. Okay. now. Guys, what do you think? I would agree. I I think the, the third party friend has some responsibility to say, look, you know, this guy's not coming back, but she doesn't have to reveal everything she knows. Okay, that you'd seen him out with other people, and you that you know maybe he's moving on, and you should figure out a way to get over this. I agree with that. (laughs) Okay, we're all in agreement on this one. This is an unusual case. Do you have another email here? Yeah, we do. Um, And any perspective from the mom's point of view? A generation thing? No, no, things haven't changed that much. (laughs) No, (laughs) logic is logic. What about you, Susan? What do you think from a mom's perspective? I I I agree with you. I just. wonder about anybody saying to or thinking that because they dated somebody that and now they've broken up that a good friend should not go out with that person mm-hmm. for i mean this is obviously an extreme extreme case they're already having sex but but um how much how much ownership do you have on somebody let's say you had a really intense relationship with them you've broken up um you know, you say it's all fair game. Well, it diminishes exponentially as time goes on. I mean, the day after, not okay. But, I mean, it becomes more and more okay, say, you know, after two weeks, a month, two months. Okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah. You know? I mean, you, if you, you can't, you can't hold on to him forever. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. here's Especially if you broke up with him. It's yeah. Like suffering, yeah. You know? <laughs> okay. Here's an email from Mike. My girlfriend and I have gone very slowly on my account, uh, but I feel peer pressure from my friends asking if I've gone past third base. <laughs> I don't want to lo- lessen my uh, manhood by telling them to cool it. <laughs> well, friends. yes. Now, I think this is a case where, um, well, you guys have to talk about this. Uh, do guys feel under pressure, not only from the girl, maybe, too, but from your friends to, you know, um, get more engaged? To be a, uh, a closer, as we used to say back in high school. <laughs> a closer. A closer. A closer. I've never heard that. That's my, awesome. My dictionary is getting <laughs> yeah. quite long. Notice yeah. that closer is loser with a C <laughs> right. at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> this is a valid point. <laughs> oh, so what about being a closer? I mean, uh, so guys do put pressure on each other? I think that, I mean, I think there's a, a reasonable amount of pressure. I mean, you know, guys, you guys want to know what, what's going on. But, I mean, there's also a, a, you know, a lot of respect. You say, I really like this girl she doesn't feel comfortable with this and you i think i mean blame it on her if you have you know friends that are complete animals they'll understand oh they will i I think that that you know i mean things take time and i mean that you know there's a lot more relationship than that that kind of thing oh they're okay that's good to know topher uh, I think it, uh, it's just tough because guys, first, guys lie to each other all the time about this stuff. Right, that is all. Like, true. that's another, so you can just straight up lie. <laughs> <laughs> Although, the problem with that is then if it gets back to the girl's friends, then it's like, oh, you know, she, and then the girl might feel uh, she's been impugned somehow. 
Well, yes. <laughs> Somehow. I don't know. Oh. Okay. Well, now we're getting a number of emails uh, about graduation. And here's one from Nellie. I'm a senior and will graduate in June. My parents are divorced. I want to invite them both to come to graduation, but I don't want my stepmother there. She's super critical of me and always makes trouble for me with my dad. Is it okay to exclude her or am I being petty? I really don't like her. Well, I think if there's another spouse involved, okay, so if we have two couples of the parents and she excludes one spouse and not the other spouse, I mean, it would be okay for her to say, I only have two guests. It's an old-fashioned school. They expect (laughs) two parents, you know. But if she invites, you know, the other spouse and not this one, then it obviously is making it. She is being the, uh, the excluder, and that's all there is to it. I think she should talk to her dad. And she should tell her dad, well, I mean, assuming, it depends. Like, if she has a good relationship with her dad, she should talk to her dad and say, you know, I don't really want her there. Can you explain that to her? It's also delicate. If you can't, then, then I think she has to put up with it, which sucks. And I think the dad, to be a nice person, should say, should, like, make it as short as possible and then send the stepmom away so they can go out to dinner father-daughter or something to, like, get that get the stepmom you, you out You know, of in real hair. life, it doesn't work that way. I mean, the father has made a real commitment to this other yeah. person. Yeah. And I, I think if, too if um, this senior goes, says anything that she, her dad's going to, if he has to choose, right. he's, he's not, not going to choose her. the daughter. It's, no. de- it's delicate, especially considering who's paying for this. And I think if, if you know, the, the step-parent is, is, is at least with the parent that's paying for this, you know, they are entitled. And as that's much true. as you might not like it, they're entitled. But if they're not paying... You know, you have every right. This is your graduation exclusive. You mean if you've taken out a hundred loans? Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. This, this is all you. You can you can invite who you want. A, uh, a housemate of mine, when he was graduating, actually had this problem where his and it was even more complicated because his mother was paying. They were divorced. His mother was paying for the entire party to go out to the graduation dinner, and she said, "I'll pay for your father, but I'm not paying for your father's." A word for a woman of negotiable repute. <laughs> so that was an extremely delicate issue. What happened? Uh, I'm guessing that she, uh, they did, apparently the two parents didn't have any problem being cruel to each other, so I'm sure she called the father and said, I'm not uh. paying for your hussy to, uh, to come to dinner. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Oh dear. That's such a bad situation because my, my tendency would be to side with the with the the daughter, the daughter yeah. and just say, you know, this is your once-in-a-lifetime graduation. Like, tell her to to go to hell, but I don't think you can. I, I absolutely think that it, it's within the girl's rights to say, Dad, I, I'm not comfortable with uh, your wife coming to the, you know, coming as to a, the graduation as a, as because a, it's going to be uncomfortable for me. Uh, uh, from my perspective, as an older person who's seen it, I would not say that. What would you say? Like, I, I, um, you just deal with it? I would deal, it yeah, I would deal with it because um, the dad, you're going to be more upset when the dad doesn't chooses the girlfriend or the 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 partner or whatever over you and they and they should i mean actually i think or i don't know if they should but chances are that's what they're that's what they're going to do well listen we're going to take a short break and when after we come back we're going to look at some momalies what our mothers always told us were they right or just playing know-it-all if you've just tuned in, here with me at the table is Sadie, another mother. Hello. Hi, and Lauren, Jessica, and Topher. Howdy. Hi, Susan. Hey. So, Sperm Bank of California, that eh? Was, that was by far the best uh, PSA I've ever heard on That's, the show. With I the Simpsons music oh, and that, the kids' voice. That was I just, absolutely hilarious. That was just creepy. Now, we, you have to understand, <laughs> listeners out there, that we get these PSAs from all over. and Public we, service announcements. Public service yes. announcements, and we play them. Okay, we're going to take a look at Momalies. If you'd like to join the conversation, we have till 6. Give us a call at 650-723-9010. And if you're listening to us on the Internet, send us an email at whatwouldyourmothersay at kzsu.stanford.edu. By the way, our online address is livekzsu.stanford.edu. Okay, Things our mothers used to say to us, how they were right or wrong, and how we would respond to our moms if they used a momily today. I'm going to go around. I've heard already from two of you that you want, you have some momilies that you want to tell me about. Well, let's start with that. Sadie? Okay, when I was very small, my mother used to brush my hair rather violently and pull it back really tight into a ponytail. And when I would complain, she said, beauty hurts, my dear, beauty hurts. And I thought that was, even as a kid, I thought that was really weird. So then much later, I went out and got a bunch of tattoos, which really hurt, and now I'm beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know what the point of all that is, but I just when mom you said was right. Mom, mom, like, mom was that right. That was the one that just really threw me. Beauty hurts. Beauty hurts. Oh, Jessica, I, I, you know, the momily that my mom used to tell him was, "I told you so," and I'm the mom, <laughs> <laughs> and I just. I don't know, like, I, I will, va- I have vowed, I hope I can keep to this vow that I will never say this to a child. <laughs> because it's just so, so ridiculous. I don't know. So I don't think mom was if right about that. If you don't have one. a good explanation to back something up, just say so. Just yeah. say, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I think it's true. <laughs> oh, I, my daughter would argue and argue with me, and I'd say, look, I'm the mom. That's that's all you need to know. Oh. <laughs> Sounds like tyranny to me, Susan. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. <laughs> um, it was either me or her. <laughs> You pay the rent, and if you want to keep living here, <laughs> oh, that sounds like a mommily. <laughs> yeah, that does. Yes. My my mom never. My mom was a uh, is an Irish Catholic woman with a bourgeois streak in her, and uh, yikes. Uh, and I see. I, I didn't get a lot of you know like you're going to regret this or you're going to thank me or this hurts me more than you or any of that kind of stuff. But I got a couple interesting things that have always stuck with me. One is. Um, Catholic, you'll know this, is uh, it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. Oh, yes, right. <laughs> and yes, I, and I, another one, which she says is the code of the family, is uh, read one, see one, do one, teach one. Where okay. whenever there's some skill or something to do that I don't know, she goes through those four steps, and she does it and has me do it with her, and then I can do it. It's like modern That's educational nice. theory, more than mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. like, mo- like you know, Mom's your eyes will freeze like that if you keep <laughs> doing that. Or Mom's <laughs> got to do a lot of jobs. Yeah. One one my mother had that that's rung truer and truer I guess as time goes on is uh, life is not fair or easy which is kind of a, a really kind of <laughs> yeah. snide way of reminding a little kid to stop complaining and uh, yeah and suck it up. My mother used to always say, "Get up and face the world." I mean, like you know, Saturday morning I'd want to stay in bed all day and to get up, get up. It's time to face the world. Well, jump ahead many years later when my mother was very ill and not doing very well at all, and and I would go over to see her. You know, it'd be two o'clock in the afternoon and she wouldn't even be dressed, and I'd say, "Mom." Mom, you have to get up. You have to face the world. And she said, what are you saying to me? (laughs) You have to get up and face the world. She said, why are you saying this to me? And I said, because you always said this to me. And she said, I wish I hadn't told you. (laughs) (laughs) My grandma has one like that. It's kind of a mommy. She says, you have to look the devil in the face. Oh. Like whenever there's something you don't want to do and you're avoiding it, someone you don't want to call, a question you don't want to ask, you have to look the devil in the face. Oh, that's a hard one. It's a good one. Yeah, I think I'll clean my house first and make right. a couple of cookies. And and exactly. Yeah. yeah. And write it's a lot a good of way letters. To do your homework though, because it's like okay, I have to. It, I'm going to have to look the devil in the face. So in the if meantime, I procrastinate by doing the housework. <laughs> my house gets very clean sometimes when I have a lot to do. Okay, now here are some uh, homilies that I got out of this book called Homilies, as my mother used to say. Uh, okay, you're not going out like that, are you? Now, I, I suspect the, the girls at the table had their mother say that to them. Totally. Well, you know, I used to take guitar lessons so I could carry a big guitar case and I would have my alternative outfit in the guitar case and I would get halfway to school where there was a gas station, go in there and change. So my mother never knew that I was not, not actually looking like anything she would I did to that too. That, I wonder how many people did this. I did that with earrings. I wasn't allowed to wear drop earrings in, in like 6th and 7th grade because that was like too sexy or something. I don't know. Uh-huh. So I, I would hide them and I would wear them. I'd put them in and then I'd like, yeah. Yeah, you I don't actually have to fight, you know. J- judging <laughs> what I've seen in the last six years or so, I think more mothers need to say that in today's society. <laughs> now you're going to sound like a twenty-some-year-old prude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Topher, when you have children, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> Lauren, did your parents ever say? Go wash up or put on a clean it was, T-shirt. It's always more along the lines of uh, pull your pants up. I can see your ass. <laughs> 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 You're not a plumber. Pants. Yeah, exactly. Oh. That's what they said. Okay. Well, here's a typical one of try not to associate with anyone you can't learn something from. Yeah, my parents used to say that too. I don't think now. I at some point I think kids stop listening and they get really defensive of their friends. Did you have that happen? Um, Sadie, did you, by the way, tell your kids that and you could see them turning off when you would say it? No, that uh, that didn't get told to me, and I didn't tell that to my kids. I think that's 
bizarre. I mean, you can try associating with people that you can teach something to, too, you know. But I know my mom used to, I could tell my mom really didn't like some of my friends. She really disapproved of them. Sometimes she'd sort of, you know, no, I don't want you going over there and spending the night with blah, blah, blah. And then much later on, as my mom was getting, you know, terminally ill, this one friend that I know she disliked would come over and help her with these sort of meditational exercises, pain-easing sort of things. And then my mom would go, oh, I always liked Maggie so much. <laughs> it's like, what? No. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like how they told you you were the coolest kid in school. Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> my mother was very funny talking about people not associating with anyone you can't learn something from. Um, I, I reconnected up. In, with someone that who had been very mean to me in high school. And I had reached the point where, you know, you have to move on. You can't, you know, go back to the past. And my mother would not. She said, why would you forgive her for what you did? <laughs> I mean, she was really, she was terrible to you. And wow. I, yeah, it was many years later. But in a way, I appreciated that because it, she, this person had been very hurtful to me. Hmm. Lauren, um, okay, what goes around comes around. Has your mother said that to you or... Uh, no, I mean, it, that was always kind of included in the large category of, you know, to, like, be a good person, I guess. I mean, I mean, because, like, I guess if you start, you know, you start lighting fires, I mean, you're going to get burned, I guess, is the... Was that her momily? Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, think that, I think that was what, what was said. I got something more direct. My mom always asked, and this has been with me ever since, um, how would you feel if someone did that to you? Yeah. And so I'm always motivated by putting myself in someone else's position saying, how would I feel if someone did that to me? That's a very yeah. powerful thing. To have someone say that to you. I stood some guy up once, and my brother came <laughs> into me, into my room, and he said, uh, has anyone ever stood you up? And I said, no. He said, well, if they ever do, you'll know why it's a really awful thing to do. And lo and behold. <laughs> that was a brotherly. <laughs> that was a brotherly. Although, yeah, it was easier, actually, for a brother to say that than, than a mother. Who's given advice to a sibling? Empathy is often very difficult to learn on your own, so it's a good thing that people are actually, you know, telling you this is what it means to be empathetic and encouraging you to do so. I, I find it curious I find it curious how the, the title of this book is a pun on homilies and also has the word lies in it. <laughs> <laughs> it just has the word loser in it. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> so okay, when did our moms lie to us? Oh. When she said beauty hurts. I think yeah, I think that was, that was, that was a was lie. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> <That's laughs> so my mom told me, yeah. I'll never forget this, when I was 10 years old, she said, I was at this New Year's Eve party with them and a bunch of adults, and there were no kids, and I was not having any fun at all. I think I was amusing myself by learning to swallow M&Ms or something. <laughs> right? Like, I was complete as bored as a child can be. And she said, you're not supposed to have fun. You're only 10 years old. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> like, looking wow. back, I'm like, that was a ridiculous uh, thing to say. What uh, are you supposed to do when you're 10 except have fun? I remember my mother took me to her friend's for a tea party, and we had, you know, I got my tea or my cold drink, and there was a plate of cookies, and I was very hungry. So, you know, the plate of cookies was there, and I ate them. I ate a lot of them, and my mother later said, you're not supposed to eat them all up. <laughs> well, why did they put them all out then? <laughs> That's exactly what I said. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. Oh, well, it's time to say goodbye. I, uh, it's good to have you. It was good to have all of you on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Sadie, Lauren, Jessica, and Topher. Well, thanks for coming on and sharing your wisdom and opinions. For the record, the opinions expressed on What Would Your Mother Say do not represent those of KZSU or Stanford University. They're not intended to be a substitute for professional advice and or counseling. Today's show was put together with help from Mark Lawrence and Sarah Buer. Kyle Wolf has been our engineer. I'm the executive producer. Check the website for next week's show, whatwouldyourmothersay.net. You can let us know what you thought of tonight's program or sign up to be on the panel by going to our website, whatwouldyourmothersay.net. That's it for tonight. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. And remember, call your mom. I'm Susan Morris.